All right. All right. Um, let's see. We, uh, I'd gotten some reports from the internet people that our service had been choppy lately. And uh, so we used, we're using a new device now. So let's see if it works. And uh, yeah, the last two weeks it was really, And no one wants that. You know, everyone's trying as hard as they can. And is it too much to ask that we don't have, like, you know, internet stutter stuff? So, hopefully, it'll work better. Um, so, yeah, this week... Were there any other questions on baptism? I know we spent, we spent a lot of time talking about godparents. Um... The godparent deal is like you gotta your job as godparents is to like make sure these people are bringing their kids to church, basically, and encouraging them and um, helping them to receive the Lord's Supper faithfully. So that's the goal. Um, any any questions about holy baptism and all that stuff? We looked at uh, Luther's revision of the baptismal rite that the church had been using for uh, at least a thousand years at that point, and he basically keeps all the good stuff and gets rid of some little weird stuff. But it's all all these things, right? Now, we know the church is not a building, right? We know this. The church is not a building. Duh. Um, there's all these like helpful things, right? Does a church have to have a cool stained glass window? No. Does a church have to have um, an organ? No. Does a church have to have pews? Pews are, you might be shocked to know that pews are a fairly recent innovation in church history. Like they didn't exist until something like 1750, uh, something like that. Um, there's all these like helpful things that we have around. So in in holy baptism, we have all these extra things that we use, and they're they're helpful. You know, so we give you a candle, and we give you like a special, like little cloth, and and um, you know, keep your candle. Do you guys still have your baptismal candle? Anyone? Yeah, I think I have mine. How many of you guys have all of your children's baptismal candles? You have two of them. <laughs> Uh, I think I can locate two of ours. Uh, but yeah, we give you all these things because like it's it's difficult to it's difficult for you to remember your own baptism because you you were there but you were a baby. But it's the same thing as what happens to you in the hospital, right? I do not remember my birth yet. I am always my father's son and my my mother's son, and they are always my father and my mother. No matter what can I do to get rid of them? Anyone ever like tried to get to get rid of your parents before? So you can like get legally emancipated, right? But uh, you're always like they're always your parents. That's just how your your DNA is, right? That they're your mom and your dad, and that's it. So. Yeah. And and you you can also always go back home. So 
hopefully. Um, so that's that's baptism. It's huge, and so the next kind of area of things we want to look at is confirmation. Confirmation. Um, I will say that we have maybe a complicated history with confirmation in the Lutheran Church. Um, a lot of other churches, kind of the Baptist churches, uh, will talk about something, the age of accountability. You ever heard this? Age of accountability. Do you know what the age of accountability, of, of accountability is? Yeah, so I think it's somewhere around 12. Well, usually the pastor of the Baptist church will determine that after talking with the child. So the idea that you can still sin, but you're just not held accountable for that because you're too young to know what you're doing. Which, like, guess what? The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible doesn't say that all men are sinners as long as they like know what they're doing. Okay, it's it's worse than that. You can you can be sinning without even knowing that you're sinning. Like that is a real thing, and it happens all the time. So, I you know I was rough estimate. Do you know how many lies people tell a day? Yeah. Any guesses? Twenty. Twenty. They're about two hundred. Yeah. That must be an extremely narrow definition of lying. Uh, I think it's a broad definition of lying. Any sort of mistruth, you know, it's it's we lie a lot, right? We don't even, like, know we're doing it. I mean, are they including things like Christ? I'm great, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, sure, exactly. Uh, because how are you doing, well, I'm actually feeling super depressed and want to kill myself, doesn't fly very well with people when they ask how you're doing, you know. I'm like, oh, uh, <clears throat> sorry I asked. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's uh, anything, you know. There, we, we tell lies all the time. Um, we sin just all the time, whether we know it or whether we don't know it. So, so in some churches, there's this idea that in, in, once you know better, then you're going to be held accountable for these things. But before that, you're not held accountable for them. And it's just like, that's not the way, that's not the way this works. Um, so we don't go around and like enumerate all of our sins. Okay, When you come to confession and absolution... We're not asking you to like list off all the sins that you've ever committed. That's not the way that it works, okay? Like if you have big sins that you just can't get rid of, you know, it's like you have sins that you just carry along with you and they just like weigh you down. Um, if you have those sins, like bring those and we want to forgive those ones. And this is Luther's problem, um, and this is kind of how the Reformation comes around. Luther is just tortured by his own sins. And, 
and he goes to confession just like all the time and, and he's just got these like mile-long lists of sins that he's committed and he, and he is absolutely convinced unless he confesses every single last one of the sins that he's ever committed then they won't be forgiven and he is a damn sinner going to hell why because why? he thinks he has to confess every single sin in order to, for it to be forgiven when that's not really how it works right the here's the deal is that like you're forgiven okay every single one of your sins is forgiven uh in holy baptism and every single one of your sins is forgiven in the words of absolution and every single one of your sins is forgiven in the lord's supper like we're not like picking these things apart you are a poor sinful being but you are also uh you are also a royal priest who is seated at the right hand of the father and not just like part of you but but all of you and so there's this complicated thing that we kind of talk about um luther has this phrase simul justus et peccator the simultaneously saint and sinner and it doesn't really make sense to us because in our minds people are like kind of like you know half saint half sinner um you know you got to figure out who to vote for based on like who you think is less evil you know, or, like, or who is like more better. But it doesn't work that way in the church, okay? It doesn't work that way, I mean, in real life, right? Uh, it's, and it, I mean, it's kind of like being married. You're never like kind of halfway married or, or being, being pregnant, right? You never, you never met anyone who's just like a little bit pregnant. It's, it's all, it's all or nothing, right? I mean, you're either pregnant or you aren't, all right? So that's, that's the way it goes with, with sin and with righteousness. You're either a sinner or you aren't. And you're either righteous or you aren't. And both of those things happen to be true uh, by virtue of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. So it's, a very, it's kind of a difficult thing to navigate. But... Um, yeah, so uh, when we start talking about confirmation, what is... Saint. Yeah. Uh, what do, when do we use the word confirmation? I've used the word confirmation in recent weeks a couple times. Huh? What do you got? Horses? Horses? You confirm a horse? You just said the word confirmation. You just said the meaning of the word. What is, con- what is horses? Confirmation of horses is like how they're, you know, all characteristics of the Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So, like the standards that like horses are supposed to have according to their breed, that's called confirmation? Yeah, Oh. Well, that's interesting. That probably works with this too, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's what I like. I did not know that. Huh? That's what we're shooting for with confirmation in the church too. You know, we ask you all these questions. Well, here's the deal. Someone asked, like, um, yeah, is my is is my child ready for confirmation yet? And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Um, we've got all these questions. And I'm not going to, like, take a kid up in front of church and make them lie. Uh, are you willing to die for all these things? If you're not willing to say yes to that, I'm not going to force it on you, you know? 
Um, there's no, like, it's not like automatically after two years in confirmation with Pastor Meisner, now all of a sudden you are ready for this, you know? And again, that's like a nice thing about not having a giant church. I don't, I don't have to wonder. I'm like, well, I don't know. Because I actually know all these kids. And I, I know, I think I know everyone in church pretty good. Um, I'm always shocked to find out that people in church don't know one another as well as I know you. Um, one way that I know you all is by your vehicles. You know? Somehow, like, other people don't know this stuff. They're like, well, who's that? Yeah, I mean, I drive by and I know who's at church. And there was someone parked in the parking lot this morning during service who was not a member of our church. And then I saw them drive off during the sermon. I thought, well, what did I say? I don't know. Um, I have no idea who it was. They were driving a, a white Ford Taurus station wagon, probably like a 2000 model or something. Very dark tinted windows. I'd never seen this before. Okay. It's a good parking lot, though. Uh, we get a lot of traffic here. It's a good place for police officers to sit and like fill out paperwork too. Um, I talk to them all the time. So uh, yeah, confirmation animals. Interesting. Um, I got I used the word confirmation a couple of times this these past two weeks. Anyone else got anything else? Confirmation. Anyone else get confirmed or anything? You want to buy any plane tickets? You get a confirmation email, right? I bought a ticket, and then they send you an email and say, oh, this is confirmed, right? That's essentially what's going on in in the rite of confirmation, too. Uh, We baptized this kid. Now, here's your confirmation email. Um, It's almost like, did it work? (laughs) Did this work? Is any of this working? We're just checking in here, Okay. So your confirmation email does not mean that like you have the flight uh, booked. Uh, actually, like booking the thing does that. But um, I also I got another one this week too. I think I think you already know about this. This is like old news by now, but it still is very new news in our lives. The dis- dishwasher. I got a new dishwasher in the parsonage. So. Got it online at Lowe's, and they send me a confirmation email when it's ready to pick up. And now it's great. It just works. So I fixed that last dishwasher probably like 20 times over the past four years. You know. So don't buy that one. A whirlpool. Um, so yeah, they, they sent me a confirmation email. It's ready to be picked up. And I went there, and there it was. So we have all these things about uh, confirmation. Now, uh, when we talk about confirmation, it's specifically talking about the right in which someone comes up, and then we we ask them all these questions. And and basically, we're asking the same things that we ask you in your baptism. Um, Essentially, the creed, uh, do you renounce the devil? And then, like, are you... Are you willing to die for this stuff? Uh, are, you, are you actually in this uh, for the long haul? And the, it's a scary thing. Uh, we normally like, have confirmation around like eighth grade. So you're looking at kids who are, how old are kids in eighth grade? 13, 12, 13, 14, 
Are there any like decisions you made when you were 12, 13, 14 that you have been held to? That someone actually thought that you had the like mental capacity to make some like lifelong decision at that point? Anyone? Like, like we're not signing kids up for the draft at 14, right? It's it's such a strange age, and I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I either would like push it back to like 10 years old or move it up to 18 years old. In the middle, it just seems so like... I mean, middle schoolers are weird, right? Like, they're just... I don't understand them. Um, but, yeah, it's, we're basically saying, like, here's someone who actually practices their faith on their own rather than because this is their parents' church or something like that, right? Are you going to come to church here without your parents is essentially what we're asking, too. So, um, yeah. Does that come from the end to the age of baptism bar mitzvah? Yeah, so it's very, it's very related to uh, the bar mitzvah. Yeah, I think that we should view it kind of like that. So when a kid is bar mitzvahed, like they are seen as kind of an adult in that community, in that synagogue. Uh, they've learned... I don't really know what all the, the requirements are for, to be... to get a bar mitzvah. Do you know? Anyway. Hebrew, Hebrew, so they have to get up and have to read the Torah, right? So, they have to know certain of the <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that they got to learn, I know. Um... It's not a bad way to think about what we do here. So, uh, but so I think we want to like push confirmation earlier because we do see kids who are maybe fourteen years old around who who we think should be receiving the Lord's Supper, but are they ready for confirmation? I don't know. Um, so first communion prior to confirmation, I think, is a wonderful solution, um, and. This is something that has kind of been growing in our church lately. Uh, but yeah, so what is the age that the Bible establishes to receive Holy Communion? Yeah, there isn't one, right? Like, that's not how it deals with us. Um, well, there are some age requirements in the Old Testament, right, for, for priests um, and then, like, who's got to go to war and things like that? When you can read a book. When you can read, yes, when you can read Song of Solomon. You have to be 33 years old to read the Song of Songs. 33? Yeah. Careful. <laughs> Maybe it's just 30. I don't know. Um, yeah, careful with that one. Do they do it in... So do the Catholics do confirmation or do they just do First Communion? I'm not aware that they do confirmation. They do? They have to go through their classes for a couple years up to Huh. 
Yeah, so in the Eastern Church, they commune babies. For what I've heard, though, is they, they only commune them, like, basically at their uh, baptism. And they don't really keep doing it. Um, yeah. So, by the way, if, if anyone thinks that, like, the common cup is kind of icky, which, I mean, I, I do, but I don't like sharing silverware anywhere else in my life except here with you guys. So that's how much I love you and we love each other. Uh, but in the Eastern Church, they have a, uh, they've got the chalice, and then they put the bread in it into the wine, and then they like basically mix it up into this sort of like Eucharistic gruel, and they spoon it into your mouth. So again, I'm not an Eastern Christian, so I've never received the Lord's Supper that way. But it makes me kind of thankful for the host. And you're like, all right, so. I, that would kind of change the dynamic of things. Bless you, I think. I mean, like, yes, yeah, it works. I have no like problem with that. Uh, I'm just trying to think the last time I was spoon fed anything. Uh, <laughs> yes, when I was a child. So you know, it's not bad. But, uh, I don't know. It seems a little over the line to me. It's kind of a cool spoon. It's, like, really long. It's, like, uh, yeah. But, anyways, so I think that, like, uh, uh, having First Communion, I think, is a really good thing. Um, I did. Did anyone else have First Communion before Confirmation? I did. Um, we had it, in my church, we had it for uh, sixth graders, Again, like I'm not a huge fan of tying it to a particular age. I just don't see the scriptures speaking that way about any of us. Um, but so historically, let's check this out. Uh, on the single page, resources for communion prior to confirmation. When are we? So this is this is from a, a, a like fairly official and authoritative thing that we've we've put out. Um, in 1993. So, um, Luther was accustomed to direct his admonition to partake of the Lord's Supper diligently also to children. And that too, to children of comparatively tender years. In his sermon of March 25th, 1520, he says, This exhortation ought not only to move us older ones, but also the young and the children. Therefore, you parents ought to instruct and educate them in the doctrine of the Lord, the Decalogue. What's that? Ten Commandments. The Creed, the Prayer, and the Sacraments. Such children ought also to be admitted to the table that they may be partakers of the Lord's Supper. In Luther's sermon of December 19th, 1528, we read, Hence you parents and heads of families, invite your subordinates to the sacrament. Do you, wanna, do you guys ever refer to your children like that? <laughs> uh, and we, we shall demand an account of you if you neglect it. If you will not go yourselves, let the young go. We are much concerned about them. When they come, we shall learn by examining them how you instruct them in the word as prescribed. So when they come, what are we going to find out? Yeah, if you're teaching them at home. Have you been teaching your children these things, or you just think it's my job? It's not my job. 
I'm here to do this with you. If you need help, I'm here for that. So, Hence, do come more frequently to the sacrament. And also admonish your children to do so when they have reached the age of discretion. So normally what we say this is, is when a kid can look at themselves and actually confess their sins. Right? Now how old do you have to be before you can recognize your sinfulness and confess your sins? Yeah, I mean, at least with my children, the eight-year-old is certainly there, but the five-year-old is not, right? So, what's the age of discretion? Yeah, when you can, when you can confess your sins, when you can realize that you are a sinner, I have sinned, I need forgiveness. But you know, I bet that five-year-old can understand when she's done something that we don't want her to do. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I've done something you don't want me to do. I think what it's really going for is like, I rather than. I know what they mean, but I think it's not yeah. a line, it's a Yeah, right, it's not a line. And that's what's difficult about this, right? So. Uh, for in this way, we want to learn who are Christians and who are not. Yikes. What's his line there for who's a Christian? And then. And then. Come frequently to the Lord's Supper. If you will not do so, we shall speak to you on the subject. Uh, for even though you older people insist on going to the devil, we shall still inquire about your children. So, do we have, do we have people whose children aren't here because their parents won't bring them? Yes. It's, it's kind of, it's interesting. You're kind of like what to the, the parents. You're like, yeah, whatever. But if you don't feed your children, what happens? Like, they'll come take them away from you. If you're a bad parent, now, I'm not a great parent, you know, whatever. I'm doing my best. But on, on some level, it's like, if you're not a good parent and you're actually a bad, evil parent, then they'll take your children away. Hmm. But in the church, we're just like, oh, well, I'm sure it's fine. Playing racquetball, of course, is more important. Um, necessity. Because sin, the death, sin, the devil, and death are ever-present. Benefit. Because the remission of sins and the Holy Spirit are received. So why do we need the Lord's Supper? Because this forgiveness of sins, like that's what this is all about. That's the, what the church is about. Okay. Um, I, also, I grew up with the every other week communion too. And I know that like there's lots of, church, lots of churches that still do this. And like, I just don't understand it at all. Like, you've got this great gift. You're like, this is amazing. This is the center of my life and of the church's life. If it's the first and third Sunday. It does not make sense to me. Uh, I know this church, it's only, you know, relatively recently that we went back to having every Sunday communion. But it's a 
like wonderful thing. Um, and if you think every Sunday communion is like not amazing, and then you go visit a church when it doesn't have it, you're like, eh, whoa, what? Uh, you feel cheated almost. Like, well, what am I doing here? So, you also have every Sunday communion because you can have you can have a bad sermon. I can have a bad sermon, but you can't have a bad Eucharist. Like, it's for whatever reason. If you don't miss the if you miss the mark in the sermon, then of course you got that. Uh, here we go. Now, the tender age at which the young are held to partake of the Lord's Supper appears from Bugenhagen. Bonus points if anyone knows who Bugenhagen is. You get bonus points. Anyone? Anyone? Oh, I was hoping to give out bonus points today. Oh, well. Uh, you try harder next week. But Bugenhagen is the, the parish pastor in Wittenberg. He was... He was um, He's Luther's pastor, father, confessor. And he, um, he's also responsible for spreading the Reformation to Denmark. So because they were able to like kind of change things around in Wittenberg, they start enlisting him to go to other places. So he goes around and writes these things called church orders. Um, because people are, he basically writes instruction books for how to be a Lutheran parish or how to be a Lutheran country, how to be a Lutheran uh, kingdom. So they send him to Denmark and he does this. Um, so that's, that's uh, who Bugenhagen is. He's really, he's fantastic. Um, Luther also calls him Pomer. He's from Pomerania. So they have all these nicknames for one another. And the Reformation era is super interesting. And we also have tons of documentation from it. Uh, and it's all like yeah, it's awesome. How many of you guys have seen the Luther movie that came out in 2005, I think? It's good. It's really good. You should watch it. Um, like, we are the heirs of a really amazing tradition and just a beautiful story. Um, how it all comes about. I mean, it's amazing. There's, like, kidnappings and beard growing and uh, kidney stones and all sorts of awesome stuff. Um, the Calvinists are not quite as interesting. They just come along and take all the art off the walls. But um, So, uh, Bugenhagen, his preface to the Danish edition of the Inchiridion, which is the Catechism, of 1538, where he says that after this confession is made, Suffolk, also the little children of about eight years or less, should be admitted to the table of him who says, Suffer the little children to come unto me. So, I mean... Honestly, like eight years seems pretty good to me. Like kids' brains are kind of working by that time. You can kind of understand things. You know? um, and ultimately, it's it's kind of about what what the Lord says about this and what He's doing here. Okay, so yeah, it's some of you if you. Um, some of you, I've, I will ask, or I have asked, like, what do you think about your kid receiving the Lord's Supper? And this is not to say that, like, I just am going to give it to them right away, uh, or that they need to have it right away, but they're doing things at communion that 
you might think are annoying, but I think are actually like moving in the exact right way, you know. So the 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 child who reaches out his hand and, and even says like, "I want the crackers." Like, that's good. You want to encourage that, um, because he knows that there's something here. He says like, "I want that." Oh well, good. I want that. So to say, no, you're not in eighth grade yet. Again, you remember Jesus talks about this. They're like, hey, the little kids, don't let them near. And he's like, ah. one of the only times when Jesus gets angry in the Bible, it's like when people are keeping the kids away. You know. So if you got like a kid who's coming here every week and who like knows what's going on. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, I want that. And you're like, what is this? These are the two big questions for admission to the Lord's Supper, really. What is it and why do you want it? And, you know, if you get visitors and you know who they are, you're like, uh, what is this and why do you want it? It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for my forgiveness. Why do you want it? Well, because I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Like, Okay, well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we want to look for with kids. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I have friends who have communed very small children, like uncomfortably small. Like, I have a friend who's like commune a fourth grade, uh, four-year-old. And then like, ah, I don't know about that. But, but who knows? Like, Again, I'm not their pastor. I don't know. Um, so, uh, let's look at these, the uh, general notes for First Communion prior to Confirmation. Now, we also, there's a wrong way that you can talk about this, which I kind of discovered a couple months ago. You can, one of the other ways that people talk about this is uh, early communion. Like, early communion. What's kind of weird about saying early communion? It's like before they should be taking it. It's not early. It's just just the first one, right? First communion. That's a good way to talk about this. Early implies that they should be waiting longer. If I wake up early in the morning, that means I should still be in bed. Um, all right. Uh, this rite is intended to be used to admit to the Lord's Supper baptized children who have not yet been confirmed. Candidates for admission to the Lord's Supper have learned the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they've received careful instruction in the Gospel and Sacraments. Confessing their sin and trusting in their Savior, they desire to receive the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of their faith in Christ and in their love toward others. So also, I think that this, um, this should... When, every time you see a baptism, every time you see a confirmation, every time you see something like this, like remember that these are your words too, right? So when... And this is why we all speak the baptismal vows together too is because like these are these are your words too and this is your faith and it's not just that child but this child is being brought into this thing where we all do this together and and this is my faith 
this is something that 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 is for all of us. Um, in, in, like, in what <laughs> what are the like what other reasons would you have for receiving the Lord's Supper other than this too? That's great. Like, hey, guess what? I kind of think you should have, and sort of assume that you do have. I'm assuming that you know the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed, and actually believe in the gospel and what this is. Yeah, like that's what we want for everyone. What we're asking for these little kids, however old they are, um, is the same thing that we're asking of everyone. It's not like, they're not getting some like reduced rate Lord's Supper here. It's the same thing. Um, Two, concerning the worthy reception of the Lord's Supper, the small catechism teaches that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared, for the words for you require all hearts to believe. What makes you worthy to receive the Lord's Supper? Yes. So. Um, yes. In what? These words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Like, there's all these different goofy ideas about what makes you worthy to receive the Lord's Supper, and churches get bent out of shape and get all wacky about these things all the time, you know? thinking that what makes you worthy is whether you're, I don't know, paying your tithe or whether you're good enough or... Like, every single one of you here, like, you're all really bad sinners. Like, every single one of you. And the ability to stop sinning is not a prerequisite for the Lord's Supper. Because it's exactly that reason why you're here for the Lord's Supper. Because you, like, can't stop sinning. And you won't be able to. Well, you'll be able to stop sinning. And when's that? Well, when we have your funeral. So then you're, then you're good. Um, and again, this is why we like funerals. Yes. Don't have to worry about them anymore. Um, so, let's see. Three, baptized Christians are admitted to the sacrament. When they've been examined and absolved, absolved by their pastor in accordance with the practice outlined in the Augsburg Confession. Uh, so, I want to ask you how many of you have been to individual confession absolution. But, like, that's what we're talking about here. All right? Um, I, do, I do make you go to confession absolution at least once before uh, before you receive conf- uh, communion. So, at the very least, it's, it is one to forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's also so that you know that this is something that's there, right? If I've never been to confession, I don't know what it is, and it seems really scary. We'll get there, too. Um, but... Can anyone tell me the three parts of confession in the old world, back when we were all under the Pope? So the Pope has three, three things for confession. 
And this is like the really big thing, big deal about the Lutheran Reformation. So it's uh, contrition. So you got to be really sorry for your sin. And then two, uh, penance, actually confessing the sin. And then three, satisfaction. Okay? So satisfaction. Now, I've never been to, I've never been to confession in a Roman Catholic parish, but I have watched some YouTube videos about it. So they have, they have all these videos that are like, what's confession going to be like? And, uh, you know, I kind of, I like the booth. I like the booth. You know? I don't like, I don't like the idea that the, the priest can't see the person. Like, that seems kind of like cheating to me. But, like, no one else needs to know that you're in there. So, one of these years, you know, we're, I'm going to build one, like, right over there or something. Yeah, we'll build a confessional booth. And then you can come to confession. No one else has to know that you're there. Although, uh, we had it every Friday at the seminary. And uh, there's always, I always felt like there was some sort of, like, camaraderie between you and the other people who you saw going in and out of the chapel. It was kind of nice. It was like, uh, oh, the people that go are in like kind of the the real sinners club. Yeah, it's it's nice and um you know, I offer it during Lent and Advent, but uh it's always available. So the idea though in 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 uh it, we watch very different movies I think, but uh did anyone have anyone seen this movie Doubt? It came out in 2008 or 9, I believe. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a Roman Catholic priest. And, and of course, it's like, it's a movie about, like, priest abuse in the Catholic Church, which, you know, huh? Allegedly, Allegedly yeah. It's, so it's not like, it's not like a date night movie, maybe, but, although I saw it on a date, uh, back before we had children and just like, you know you have to ration these things now it's like, what serious grown up thing can we watch and you gotta be really careful right, because like, I we only get so many opportunities to go to a movie I mean none now, so you don't want to waste it, so it's gotta be like a really good one so, but yeah, there's a scene in Doubt where the lady goes to confession and then, like, she confesses that she's gossiped against this priest and he says her satisfaction is to go up on top of a, 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 a building in New York City and, and cut open a feather pillow and let the feathers fly throughout the city. And then, in order to make satisfaction and be forgiven, she has to gather up all the, the feathers and put them back into the bag. And... and uh, Yes, that's the effect of gossip, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Once you gossip about someone, you, you're, you're not going to get it back. But this example of confession, though, um, so they have three parts. The satisfaction is the part that's like, oh, okay. So you got to go out and then, like, it's normally like saying a bunch of prayers. Um, but you have to do something in order to be actually for the absolution to take effect. Now, we have two parts to confession. We, we're... What are our two parts to confession? Yes. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive forgiveness, absolution from the pastor, as if from Christ Himself. 
because this is what he says in John 21. He's like, hey, breathes on the apostles and says, hey, uh, go forgive people's sins. And, and, and uh, when you forgive them, I'm forgiving them. Okay. Uh, he who hears you hears me. When the pastor forgives your sins, they're actually forgiven. This is a wonderful thing. And it's, and it's not a limitation of the gospel. It is uh, spreading it out around the whole entire world. Like, that's what this is doing. Uh, we don't want to keep the forgiveness locked up somewhere so that you can't find it. So, um, so that's what that is in number three. So, I mean, I, I was telling the kids, and they're always amazed by this. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you confess your sins to the pastor. And then guess what he does with them if they're really bad? Uh, run off and tell your parents? No. No, I don't even. They just forgive you. So, like, so I can tell you anything and you'll just forgive me? Uh, yeah, that's how it works. Like, well, what if it's a bad sin? Well, you better confess that one, too, because I'd like for you to be uh, absolved of that and to, I'd like to take that weight from you, too. You know, Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't, Bonhoeffer has this wonderful quote. It's like a, uh, maybe it's Luther. They, uh, what? Our, if we think that Jesus can only deal with our small sins, then then his redemption is small too. But it, if we bring to him our great sins, then he is such a great redeemer. Um, oh, and Jesus talks about this too, right? Who do you think is uh, more appreciative of this forgiveness? The, the one who's sinned a ton or the one who's just like, not that bad? So, yeah. Making a good confession is a difficult thing. We, uh, so how do you prepare for confession, by the way? You know? I'm not sure. It's not in our hymnal. Yeah, so consider your life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a wife, a husband, daughter, son? <laughs> have, you been, have you been lazy? This week in, uh, in uh, confirmation class, you know, like, being lazy is a sin? Yes. Like, what about wasting food? Wasting food, that's a sin? Like, yeah. Wasting things, that's a sin. Yeah. There's a lot more sins than I knew. Um, so yeah, you, you basically go through the Ten Commandments. Um, I have, there's a wonderful tool called a Beichtspiegel, which is a confession mirror, which basically like you read through explanations of all the commandments. And you kind of like jot down things, and you bring that to confession. You make, you make a good confession. And you're like... Yeah, you know, whatever. You don't have to like enumerate every single confession or every sin. And the goal is not to try and like goad you into giving us the really juicy stuff either, you know. But uh, yeah, we're just there to forgive you your sins. So that that's another thing here, right? So um, yeah, go to confession with the pastor. Um, four guidance for examination of can- candidates for. First communion prior to con- confirmation is provided in uh, this other little book. So, uh, the rite of first communion prior to confirmation takes place in the divine service before the prayer of the church. And then uh, you gave it to everyone. 
Yeah, you should give it. I like that. Copies of this right should be given to the children so that they are able to respond at the appropriate places. Again, like our goal here is never to trick you or to make you feel dumb in front of everyone. Um, we really don't want to do that. So we want to help you. Um, so let's see. We've got a couple minutes left. Um, now this is interesting. The first line, catechumens and their parents and baptismal sponsors gather near the font at the chancel steps or before the altar as local custom dictates. And if you don't have a local custom, then uh, you get to do whatever you want. <laughs> so um, I never noticed that the baptismal sponsors should be there. That's kind of fun too. So if you can make it happen, that's a good thing. Uh, then the pastor addresses the congregation. Beloved in the Lord in holy baptism, these young people were born again as God's children and received into his church. As a further gift of his love for us, our Lord Jesus Christ has given his church the sacrament of the altar and invites his children to receive this sacrament of faith for the forgiveness of their sins. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, a further gift. Like, what is it? Oh, it's a gift. Are you just going to give me more gifts? How many gifts can I get? You ever had that on Christmas? Or whenever you, your birthday or something? Um, it's like you get all the presents and then there's like... And then the UPS driver like comes to the door and he's like, and here's another one. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. Who doesn't like getting gifts? I get a little nervous about them because I don't know what's in the box, right? What's in the box? Uh, but yeah it's awesome the apostle Paul reminds us let us let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup as often as you eat this bread and drink of the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes uh, and we use that in the liturgy too don't we it's wonderful isn't that an interesting thing and this comes from 1 Corinthians. As often as we eat, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, when do we stop receiving the Lord's Supper? When Jesus comes back. Like, we won't have it anymore then. There will also be no forgiveness of sins. Because there will be no sins to be forgiven. Um, so yeah, that's it's we're holding this forth as a sign to the world. Like we're we're actually just waiting for Jesus to come back. That's kind of what we're all about here. Um, these candidates have received instruction, have been examined by the pastor regarding their sin and their understanding of the sacrament of the altar. So um I know we call it a table sometimes. I wish it, it's, it's a bad habit. I should get away from that. Uh, why do we call it an altar? What do you do with altars? Sacrifices. Yes? What's that white thing? The white thing? Uh, yeah, I think it's a hand. Yeah. It's the hand of the Father. God the Father is always shown in Christian art as a hand. 
So, um, so altars have bodies on them. So, so that's why we call this the sacrament of the altar. So, yeah, table. I don't know. Table just doesn't quite cut it. Altars are full of body and blood. So, yes. What kind of flower is that? Which one? The, uh, roses. Roses. Yeah. So. Who do you give roses to? People you love, yeah. So there's roses there because we love you. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Graham actually put them up there. Well, why is that? Because she loves you. She loves you. So also uh, when we put flowers, um, fun fact, that's not the altar. Uh, the little tables on the side are called credence tables. They're very useful. Um, there's only room for one God on the altar, and so we always put the money off to the side, okay? But, um, yeah, they're nice. You can put things there. Those are real flowers. Real flowers, yeah, because the church loves you, and Mrs. Linda Graham loves you, too. So, yeah. Linda Graham. You didn't know that she loves you, did you? No. So there you go. Now you know. Um, all right. Well, we'll we'll keep going on this next week. Any? Um, yeah. Please let me know if you have any questions about first communion prior to confirmation, and uh, or else just we'll get back together next week. Um, let us pray, Lord. You have given us this wonderful gift in the sacrament of your uh, Son's body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, bless all those who have not yet come to this altar and all those who continue to gather, that we would be bound together uh, in faith toward you and love for one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone.